This is a story about our society. About life, individuality and choices. Yeah, no, I say 100% do. Like, I go into work buzzing, like, and I come out of work buzzing. I love my job, do you know what I mean? I'm not currently in a place where I, I see myself being for the rest of my life. You get so wrapped up on the roller coaster of life that you forget to enjoy yourself. And, and life, you know, it's not really a problem to be solved. It's a journey to be enjoyed. Follow your passions. Do what you love. Find something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. We've seen it and heard it everywhere. And although it's a lovely sentiment, for some of us, we can't help but roll our eyes and just let out a sigh when we hear it. Myself included. Or at least, that used to be the case. And it's not hard to understand why. I mean, would you like the idea of having a job that you love, that fulfills you? Yes. Do you know what it is? No. Do you know how to find it? No. And even if you did, do you feel like you have the time to pursue it? No, because you have to go to work, you have to study, places to be, things to do. For years now I've been obsessed with human behaviour, why we do what we do and the choices we make. And from my own personal journey and many things I've learned along the way, when it comes to the advice around following your passion or finding fulfilling work, I think there's a lot we could be doing differently. The problem even begins with the way we frame it. Referring to it as following your passion makes it seem like this magical thing, something that's out there that we can search for, something to be found. But that's not the case. So, with the help of Alison and Dara, and health psychologist, neuroscientist, author and host of the Superbrain podcast, Sabina Brennan, I'm going to try and strip back the layers of mystery and confusion. And try to answer the question, is there a natural calling out there for everyone? Because I think there is. It's just a matter of knowing what you're looking for and how to find it. My job's personal trainer. And I'm a technology consultant. My name is Rory Corbett and this is The Pursuit of Passion. Our natural calling has become harder and harder for people to find so what's the problem? Well, the way I see it, there are three. A fundamentally flawed education system that doesn't help children realise what they're capable of. A certain amount of social norms, aspects of day-to-day -day life, which we've come to accept, which in reality are only sending us every which way chasing things we think we want. And ironically, the word passion itself, what we think it means, how we've been looking at it. The result of these is that some of us are unsure of who we really are or what it takes to fulfil us. We're never really taught to look inward, to ask ourselves, what do I really like? What am I good at? What do I want? Maybe that's why, according to everyone's CV, everyone knows exactly who they are. They're task-orientated, focused, highly motivated. But yet, in a casual social setting, 
if someone asks you what kind of person are you? Yeah, I don't know. I suppose I'm just. Uh, um, it's a hard question. It's a very tough question. When we were small, we all wanted to be astronauts, explorers, and movie stars. I wanted to be a pop star, hundred percent. I wanted to at one stage. I wanted to be a hairdresser in the morning, a pop star in the evening, and a spy at night. So <laughs> I wanted three jobs. Uh, that went on for a few years. So. Although many of us leave our childhood dreams behind, it's not the case for everyone. I don't think I did either. Or at least, I learned how to recognise these dreams as signs for where my true interests lie. I look back over the years and began to think harder on the conversations I like to have, the things that played on my mind when I should be busy doing something else. And I found that these fantasies aren't random. There are big hints there. So we should never forget our unique interests the things that we get a buzz from that others don't. And it happens more than you think. It starts in school. And often I say, you know, um, that to people who don't know what their joy is or what it is they love or what they want to be or what they want to do, it's actually not surprising because that's kind of knocked out of us from when we're kids. From five years old we learn about tons of different things but despite how different they are we learn all of them the same. We sit still, we stay focused and we absorb either from a teacher or a book. Then, at the end of our journey, we're asked to regurgitate this information and we'll receive a grade. Now that grade determines whether or not we can advance to third level or take on other courses. Here's the problem. So many people can't learn that way. Their brains are simply wired differently. In fact, the majority of us would be better off learning in other ways. American psychologist Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences identifies eight different types of intelligence that human beings can have. Logical mathematical, verbal linguistic, intrapersonal, body kinesthetic, musical rhythmic, visual spatial, intrapersonal and naturalistic. The structure of school and academia as we know it caters above all to one out of a possible eight. You're set on this trajectory, um, you know, that's very academically and narrowly focused. And you often don't have time to do the things you love because you should be studying, you know, or you should be doing X, Y, Z. The classroom environment isn't suited to many of us, but you can apply intelligence to all environments. Many of us have to look to find some place where we can even feel like we're on a level playing field. For some, it's in the gym, on a sports field or on stage or under the engine of a car with tools in hand, or simply interacting and socialising with others. Even if you prove to be quite capable in school, it shows you're goal-orientated, focused and can work hard, but it does nothing to indicate to you what your most natural environment would be, your unique strengths and interests or a path to fulfilment. Never really got to learn too much about myself. I would have said anything I learned about myself was outside of school. Um, like people say you learn a lot about yourself uh, on the rugby pitch as well, I suppose. There's certain aspects, you know, when you're training as well. Yeah. 
played sports from such a young age, like uh, as, as long as I can remember, I was thrown around rugby ball. So, uh, yeah, definitely has some sort of relation to it. I do think that's the problem with the educational system is that it, and with society, with Western society, is that it places far too much um, value on academic achievement in terms of people's self-worth and where they should go. There's also a sense that intelligence is something that actually exists rather than um, a rather than an, a psychological assessment tool that allows us measure certain things to predict certain things, but it, it's it doesn't mean anything. Well, it shouldn't mean anything. Excuse me. My argument is that you know, um, being good at intelligence tests means that you're good at intelligence tests. Um, it does predict that you um, you know the type of job you have or whether you could go to university, etc. But that's all based on assessments that are based on what we learn in school and academia. So of course, and then all of our judgments about jobs and university are based on that. So of course, there's going to be, um, you know, a relationship uh, between that. It serves a purpose in that it's a tool, you know, uh, and a shorthand and that people can talk. But um, uh, yeah, I, I, it, again, it's just overvalued. And I feel sorry for people who from a very young age, are made feel that somehow they're less or not good enough because they don't achieve or attain academically. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's a sure way to destroy people's belief in themselves. I didn't really, I didn't never knew what ADD was before. I got it so I, I got told I got ADD and to be honest I was kind of happy because I got I knew I didn't have to do Irish so this was an exciting thing for me obviously but then when I got to secondary school and stuff I got to learn more about it I would be um, sitting down and just looking out the window the whole time and I'm just like how do people do this you know what I mean but no I didn't really get the understanding when I first um, got diagnosed to be honest Our brain is comprised of stories that we tell ourselves, data that we've taken in from various different sources, you know, information. That's what we are a combination of. And unfortunately, people are operating on um, beliefs about themselves that are um, untrue. And I think it's really worth spending time with yourself and assessing where some of your big conceptions about yourself actually came from and test them are they really true and can you kind of transform that we then leave school and move into the world of work and even though some of us will have ticked all the right boxes along the way Without any real insight into what will bring us our own unique sense of fulfilment, and since we may still not be fully sure who we are, we emerge racing to prove ourselves or seeking reassurance. You know, my brother, Joey's the golden boy. Um, he was head boy, senior cop, monster 20s, all this. So I respected him a lot and respected his opinion on everything. Um, and he told me, really drove BIS home for me. And my parents were the same, you know, but I do think I would have preferred to have 
more open discussion on other courses and other options, I feel it was just BIS, you know, that was it. I kind of, it was, it was told, it was told to me that it might be a good one for me. And I was just like, yep, yeah, okay, perfect. Didn't really ever challenge it. I uh, didn't think too much about it. And just as we did when we were five years old, those of us who are unsure of ourselves may end up just continuing to chase gold stars. In a way, I think we're we're swindled by this um, this society that suggests that. Um, you know, we will experience reward and feel happy if we pursue money, power, success, attention. And so we feel if I do all of those things, tick all those boxes, I will feel happy. But of course, that's not true. Writers such as Alfie Cohn and Irish economist, author and journalist Dave McWilliams have spoken about the meritocracy of our society and how people have become mandated by the credentials awarded to them by others. People's choices will be dictated by the potential to be worthy of praise. Which means that, subconsciously, people may not know what they want for themselves, so instead, they work towards things that other people value in order to be recognised as successful by their peers. The gold star evolves into the points, the degree, the job, the promotion, which then allows for the house, the car, the clothes. The things that, if you were to ever question whether or not you're actually happy, will reassure you that you are, and try to convince you to stay the course. The big problem there is that all, all of that is external. It's all from the outside, hoping that something that you do on the outside makes you feel happy on the inside. In his 2012 TED Talk, Professor Larry Smith explains how in today's era, many will work themselves to the bone doing something for which they have no love in the hopes of achieving what they consider to be a good career. Hoping that one day they'll reach a point where they can look back and feel satisfied with what they've achieved. Unfortunately, however, that finish line, the point where they can now consider their career is good enough, never arrives. This is because there's no intrinsic value to be gained, but rather a series of material rewards, of which there will always be more to work towards. It's, it's an unfortunate place to be, actually. You know, people often look at people who on the outside appear to have everything. Good job, nice house, kids, families. They have everything that everyone wants and they're still not bloody happy. You know, that's from a third party looking at that. That's what it feels like from inside that. It can feel like, God, I have all this and I'm not happy. What is wrong with me? You know, um, and really there's nothing wrong with you. It's just you've got you bought into a dream that's somebody else's dream. Others tend to think they'll just take the safe option. It's not something they're particularly interested in, but it pays the bills. But what if I told you there was no safe option? You might recognise the risk of pursuing something else. But what about the other way around? It can help to consider the cost of what you're doing now and the real impact it's actually having on you. Like, it's, it's funny because you're sitting down all day, but then you start standing up and you're like, Jesus, I need to sit down or lie down on the couch. You're still wrecked, even though you're, you've been sitting down for the whole day. 
Friday, Saturday work is not in my head whatsoever. Like I, I couldn't, I don't even think about it. But then on Sunday, then I get quite anxious thinking about the Monday morning. It's perfectly reasonable to be afraid of taking risks and pursuing something meaningful. But maybe we should be more afraid of staying where we are if we're unhappy. Remember when you were 13 and you wondered what it feels like to be in your 20s? And once you got there, you realised that you don't feel all that different. Well, it'll be the same when you're 40 and 50 and 60. For me, a big sort of turning point or realization was when I had kids. And I think that happens for a lot of people. Um, I just felt I don't want my kids to have this, you know, to work, to make money so that you can do stuff that, you know, that allows you to forget about the job you hate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and I said, I want to raise my kids to uh, find something they love and find a way to get someone to pay them for it. And I think that's the key. I, I honestly think that's the key. Um, for some people, um, they don't know what it is they love or they think that what they love, there's no way to make money from that. Yeah. But I, I think you might be surprised. And also you may find that you actually are happier with less in terms of money because your happiness is actually com coming to you intrinsically. Where the pursuit of passion can become tricky is because it's not always about what puts a smile on our face. It's often a luxury to be able to pursue what makes us happy and cheerful. But it doesn't have to be a luxury to pursue something we find meaningful. So, how do we do that? Plenty of things can be meaningful to you. See, all the guidance will say do what you love, but it's not about loving what you do, but rather why you do. The action or the task itself isn't overly important. In fact, it's interchangeable. What's important is the end result, the purpose, the contribution you're actually making to society. Passion isn't what you do. Passion is why you do it. Let me explain. In his book, Start With Why, and the viral TED talk under the same name, author and inspirational speaker Simon Sinek outlined a concept called the Golden Circle, which is simply a map of how the leaders in every field think and operate. Take Apple, for example. You would think that if someone asked Apple, what's their purpose, that they would say they make great computers and phones. But what they would actually say is everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo. We believe in thinking differently. Making computers is just our means of achieving this. Now this might sound strange, but we can actually see this in other places. New Zealand-born award-winning filmmaker Taika Waititi said something very similar in his own TED talk. He said, My job is not filmmaking. My job is to be creative, to express myself and to share my ideas and my point of view. It just so happens that I'm using filmmaking right now. 
You see, the manufacturing of computers, the filmmaking, is interchangeable. What matters is the end result, the purpose. So Cynic would say that instead of a bus driver, you're someone who makes sure people move safely around a city. Instead of a plumber, you're someone who keeps people safe and healthy in their homes by making sure they have heating and running water. Passion isn't what you do, it's why you do it. You know, it's just something that gives you that buzz um, that actually, um, you know, in the moment that you're doing it, that is all. That is everything. You're totally absorbed in it. it it's brilliant for your mental health as well, you know, because um, you've no time to be worrying about the future or, or, or thinking about the past. You're not you know, sitting on top of yourself, assessing and criticizing what you're doing, you're just doing. Um, and that for me, um, that's what I would describe as your natural calling. And it's intrinsically motivated. That's the difference. Money doesn't make you happy. What you can do with money might ultimately make you you know, might give you, allow you to do something that feels rewarding. But if you can tap into something that you find inherently intrinsically rewarding, that's much more, um, much more beneficial. Think of people who have monetized something they love. David Dobrik, Tony Hawk, Ninja, or just about any musician. If the career never happened for them, they would still be doing these things anyway. The goal was never to become rich and famous. These guys just got busy doing things they enjoyed, and sooner or later, the career followed. Speaking to students at Harvard University, Bill Gates said, the thing you're likely to be world-class at is whatever you obsessed over from age 12 to 18. In my case, it was writing software. Just like I did, Many of us might sit at home desperately trying to figure out what it is we love to do. I I do like to be to be honest with you. I do think about it a lot, and the the probably the the, the main place I think about it is when I'm when I'm going to sleep. Do you know if the phone turned off? Uh, you know your way your mind goes racing then. The problem is I don't really, I can never get to the answer. I'm always trying to find that answer. I still just can't get to it. I don't know. But as was also the case with me, it's probably right in front of your face. The non-stop burning the ear off my friends about movies or podcasts they had never seen or heard of, it wasn't for nothing. It was a step in the right direction. It can often be the thing that requires the least amount of thought. Probably I wasn't interested in school, do you know what I mean? And what the teachers had to say, I was interested in the gym and I thought it was kind of cool. I thought it was, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I think that's why I had so much focus on it. Like, I loved it and I just thought it was a cool thing to get into. I love being active. I love, yeah, being able to move as well, not just sitting down in the office all day. I don't know if that would suit me actually that well. <laughs> Another way of describing it is, you know, um, where you're in the flow um, and and there has to be moments in your life where you find that. Go back to your childhood. What was that thing that, you know, if your mum 
called you, she'd say to you, I've been calling you three times. Did you not hear me? You know, I, I think that's a real, that's a, that's a big hint to, to finding your joy. And it could be that it was doing coloring books, right? And you might say, well, I can't earn a living doing coloring books. Yeah, but that's the start of something. It was, it's, it's the act of the art associated with that or the precision associated with that or whatever. That could translate to being a graphic designer, but maybe it could just translate to something mechanical, you know, whatever. Um, and, and I mean, we all have something. I always remember whenever we did like a sevens competition with rugby or, you know, we did that Burmo Challenge Cup and stuff, it was always me designing the jerseys because um, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed doing it and I would say I have a good eye for design, you know, I like I like clothing. Um, so I, I would say I'm, I'm a creative person. Following your passion doesn't mean you throw caution to the wind and enjoy a carefree life. There'll be plenty of long hours spent honing your craft. The difference is that you'll be willing to work hard for something you care about. And it's that kind of devotion and focus that usually brings success. Hard work doesn't make people unhappy in their careers, but rather working hard for something they don't care about, with no purpose. Or as Cynic says, no why. We should be proud of our careers and the hard work we've put in to get ourselves here. But we should also remember that when we die, we can't take our job with us. There's no one waiting on the other side waiting to read our CV. I just tell them to do it 100% happiness over any of that stuff and not to care what people think. Um, you should just do what you love and you'll be so much happier in life in the future and you'll have no regrets. That's what I'd say. <laughs> I'd like to think that I'm finally heading the right way myself. Expressing myself creatively has and always will be meaningful to me. And telling stories or having engaging and fun conversations about the who, the what and the just pure mad definitely gives me a buzz. So if I can apply myself to the walks of life that allow me to do that, I think I'll be okay. If you understand and value the reasons why you do what you do, you're already halfway there. But if you're not happy where you are, think what does the world need that you can provide? In some cases this will be easy and in others it won't. But all you need is the desire to understand what drives you. Maybe it's to make people laugh, to make people think, to organise things, to educate kids, to train and care for animals, to keep people safe, to keep people healthy. The world needs something that you would be willing to work hard to provide. So if a job is someone's contribution to society, why not make the best contribution that you can make? Thanks for listening guys. I hope you enjoyed it and that there's something in there you can take away. 
I'd like to give a huge thank you to Alison Stewart-Lord, Dara Denhe and Sabina Brennan. You made this possible and I really enjoyed our conversations. So that's all from me guys. Best of luck on the pursuit of passion. And I'll see you next time.